Today is Wednesday, October 19th, and our speaker today is Sammy, who first came to um, OA 20 years ago um, for about seven years and came back in August of 2019. Sammy is originally from Cambridge and now lives in New Market, Cambridge Shire. Sammy, it is my pleasure to turn it over to you. Thank you very much. It was beautifully read in that wonderful accent of yours. <laughs> lovely, really lovely. Oh, let me just press my timer. Okay, so I'm Sammy H. I'm a compulsive overeater and a food addict um, of the hopeless variety. Um, I don't know what I'm going to speak about for a half an hour, but um, here we go. I'm going to tell you what it was like what happened and what it's like now. And I want to just talk you through the steps because that is our program. That is our program. So, yeah, I have been a compulsive overeater for as long as I can ever remember. Um, as a tiny child, um, I was obsessed with food. I would share my toys, I would share my money, but I would never share my sweeties. And I'd have a complete meltdown if I was asked to do that. And that continued throughout my life. Um, so I was an overweight child. Um, I always felt different right from the very beginning. I never felt part of. I never felt that I fitted in. I never felt um, just part of life, really. Um, and um, I gained weight as a child. I was bullied as a child for being overweight. And then I ate more. And I'm not blaming anybody else, you know, for this. Um, I am a compulsive overeater because that's what I am. And it, it doesn't matter why. Um, but I continued to eat throughout my teenage years. And it was it was really, really difficult, you know, when all the other kids were wearing trendy clothes and having boyfriends and, and going away and doing fun things. You know, I was always the fat kid, never chosen for sports teams, never included in, in things. And, and it just added to my isolation, really, and my and my uh, misery. And I remember in my late teens, you know, wearing maternity clothes um, because I couldn't find clothes to fit me as a young person. And it was painful. It was painful. Food addiction is painful, <laughs> emotionally, spiritually and physically painful. That's my experience. So I ate my way through childhood. And then when I got to my working years, um, then it was, a you know, the party was on, really. Um, I had a car, I had money, I was working, I could uh, get out and, and buy food, eat out, drink out. And um, that's what I did for many, many years. And um, for most of my adult life, I've been over in excess of 140 pounds overweight. And um, that was my norm. You know, I normalised that as long as I'm only 140 pounds overweight, 10 stone, um, that's OK. And that's the delusion of the disease. You know, I normalised the, the not normal. And um, I, I got away with it for a long time. I was a pretty fit person, despite um, my weight. I was a very active person. Um, and... Um, you know, I, I always thought I'd outwit the disease. I always thought I'd get away with it. Um, I would be the morbidly obese person that was going to not have a heart attack, was not going to get diabetes, was not going to, you know, um, get ill with this thing. You know, I was going to outwit it. I was going to beat it. Um, I was constantly 
on and off diets. There were times when I got to the point where it, it got too much and I would relentlessly try and diet and I'd be obsessed about dieting in the way that I was obsessed about eating. Um, and, and I made everybody's life around me absolutely miserable, um, trying to restrict. Uh, but abstinence is my problem. Food was not my problem. Food was my solution to the problem. The problem was that I couldn't do life. And uh, therefore, diets never never worked for me. Um, but I, I lost 140 pounds several times and painfully, painfully picked up and put that weight on pound by pound and within a year the 10 stone would be or the 140 pounds would be back on again and that was a continuing cycle where I'd be on milkshake diets or I'd be on this diet or that diet or the other diet or I'd be with a psychologist or I'd have this kind of therapy or that kind of therapy and this was going to be it I was going to get it this time and that went on over and over and over again and every other area of my life was you know I was I was a successful woman I had a successful career I adopted two children I brought up two children I had a nice house had a nice car everything looked beautiful on the outside but on the inside it was an absolute carnage absolute carnage you know um and then um I mean I had fun with food I did you know I've eaten in restaurants all over the world I had fun um, and it wasn't always it wasn't always awful. But of course, the b- disease is progressive. It gets worse, never better. And um, in my 30s and 40s, I started to get some health problems. I started to um, get some issues with relationships, you know, because obviously the insanity um, was, was getting worse. You know, the thinking part of the disease, which I'll talk about later, was getting worse. And um, eventually... Um, I ended up at 344 pounds, which is 24 stone eight. Uh, that there was no stop to that. I mean, if I'd have carried on, I, well, I, I would have died. Um, there is no top limit to what my weight would be because I just continuously ate. And I would say to myself, but I don't binge anymore. No, because I ate morning, noon, and night, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth the whole time. Um, I had. Mars bars hidden in the middle of toilet rolls. I was lying. I was cheating. I had the stuff stashed away everywhere. I was like a drug addict. And in the morning, before I got my caffeine and my sugar, I was rattling like a junkie. You know, until I got my drug, um, I was just, I was just like a mad woman. Absolutely mad. At that point, I had very little feeling in the bottom of my legs. Um, the the consultant told me that um, there was nothing wrong with me structurally. It was just that there was so much fat um, pressing on my sort of arteries or veins in my legs and stuff. And the very little blood supply was getting down to the bottom of my legs. And it was very likely I was going to lose my legs. Um, They told me that I'd probably lose my eyesight because I had um, fat behind my eyes and it was about to squash my optical nerve. Um, I was doubly incontinent. I was breaking toilet seats. I was wetting myself on people's sofas. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up and down the stairs. I couldn't get in and out the car. I had pain all over my body um, and um, I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. And my life had really ground to a halt. You know, the bigger I got, the smaller my life had become really. And I needed 24 hour care. Um, And I was 53, 53 years old. And um, it was a pretty sad state of affairs. But much worse than all of that, and I always make people laugh, you know, much worse than all of that 
was the spiritual death, really. Um, I think you've got some pictures of mine. Has anybody got any pictures of mine that they could put up for me? Anybody? Uh, just give me a second. Okay. There's a picture of me, um, I think, just a facial one. When you're ready. The spiritual death, the feeling that you're dead inside. Yeah. So the, the picture on the left is me at 300 and something pounds. I got bigger than that, actually. The picture at the top right is me the day that I decided to put down the food and the alcohol and the caffeine and lots of other things that I was using to uh, manage my life. And I think in that picture, it makes me cry actually to see it because in that picture, you can see the despair and you can see that there's nothing behind my eyes. I'm just dead, emotionally dead, spiritually dead and physically dying. And then there's a picture in the bottom right, which is kind of, I'm probably a bit smaller than that now about size 12, 14, UK size. Um, but it's the picture in the, in the smaller picture that really, really hits home to me. Um, so thank you. You can take those down now if you want to. So, yeah, the, sp the physical, uh, the spiritual and the emotional um, death was, was the thing that was, was worse for me. Um, and there was nothing between me and me anymore. You know, I just felt like my life, my life was over. And I was full of self-pity. Um, it was all everybody else's fault, you know. Um, and uh, I'd met somebody in OA, because I was in OA 20 years ago. I was here for seven years. I didn't work a programme. I didn't get a sponsor. I went to meetings. And I'm here to tell you that going to meetings doesn't get you well, you know. And there's nothing wrong with meetings. They're fantastic. I'm so grateful for them. But they are not our programme. They're not the solution. So I'm in meetings for seven years, face-to-face uh, -face meetings, um, and I didn't, I didn't get well. I wasn't prepared to put the food down. I wasn't prepared to do the work, and nothing happens. It doesn't work if you don't work it, I'm here to tell you. So um, I met a woman. I was so arrogant, though. I went to speak at a convention about recovery, and I wasn't even in recovery. And at the end of that, I met a woman who came up to me, and she remained my friend, and she said to me, when I was in the last stages of my disease, she said to me, I'm going to send you something that might help you. Um, and she sent me an American um, boot camp and I went into this boot camp and uh, they gave me a food plan. They told me what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat it. And um, I started to follow the plan. And um, I thought that would solve my problem. I thought if I stopped eating and I lost weight, I would be all right. But 10 weeks down the line, I wanted to blow my brains out because I felt like my skin was on inside out. I felt like everybody could look into my soul. And I felt, because I was completely fake, and I could hear my own BS. If you don't mind, I'm not going to swear on the tape, but you could hear, I could I could hear my own BS. And I was I was talking like I was a double glazing salesman, you know, oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm the other, you know. And yet inside, I just felt like a piece of crap. I hated myself and I was dying and I was out of the food. And I thought, I know where I've got to go back to. So I walked back into the doors of OA, the same room that I'd walked out of about 14 years previously. 
And uh, I said to this woman, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't live with the food and I can't live without the food. And I don't think she meant this because she's not there anymore. But she said, what you need to do, love, is get down on your knees and pick up the big book. And I picked up the big book when I got home. It had been on my shelf for 20 odd years and I never opened it. Brand new. <laughs> Brand new. I thought it was about, you know, a load of middle aged Americans drinking. What's that got to do with me? But I loved OA. You loved me. You hugged me. You made a fuss of me. You gave me attention. And that's what I needed. I didn't want to get well. I just wanted attention. Um, but I picked up the book. There was no one to sponsor me in that meeting. Um, so I uh, read the book and I followed the instructions as outlined in that book, page for page, word for word. I did what it said. It's an instruction manual. That's what the big book is. Now, I don't suggest that anybody sponsors themselves. There's no need nowadays with Zoom. There's sponsors all over the world. Um, but that was the situation that I was in. And um, I got to step eight and nine. And it was as if something put its hand inside of me and pulled the disease out of me. That's the only way I can describe it. And I have not had a need to drink or eat compulsively for now for over three and a half years. And I maintain 164 pound weight loss effortlessly, not white knuckling. The food has been removed. Um, I've had someone stay in here recently and I've been serving up all sorts of stuff, you know, and he lives with a compulsive overeater and he says, how can you have all this food around you and it not bother you? I said, because the problem's been removed and it will be removed. There is a solution. So um, how did I do that is what I want to get onto. You know, I didn't understand the problem that I suffer from. OK, I thought my problem was food. I thought my problem was weight. But what I've come to understand is that I have a mind powered disease. I have a mind powered disease. And whether I'm in the food or whether I'm out of the food, that mind powered disease is going on every minute of every day of the day that I'm in. It's going OK. And my mind is unsatisfiable, fault finding, opinionated, easily frustrated. And it can't stand the word no. And I want more of everything always because I had a hole inside of me a god-shaped hole that was so cavernous that I could not fill it and I tried to fill it with houses with sex relationships money you know shopping uh, alcohol food you name it I tried it geographicals you know I went all over the world I, I, if I live in Australia I'll be okay so off I go I sell up everything in two weeks and off I go to Australia uh, do you know what my mind went with me to Australia. This went with me. Um, I am an addict in any country on any day, always. So, you know, this is the ism that I have to deal with and the, the ism in alcoholism. And it's an ism, not a wasm. You know, it never goes away. It's never, you know, no matter how, what we do, it never, I'm not cured. I have a daily reprieve. And um, I want to talk about, you know, the steps and how that has worked for me, really. And first on page 44, I remember reading this. I remember that 15. Thank you. That's perfect. I remember reading this, you know, sitting, sitting, you know, coming home from the AA meeting and reading this on page 45. And you, you're probably familiar with it. It's the paragraph that most of us know, you know, lack of power. That was my dilemma. 
I had to find a power by which I could live and I had to find a power greater than myself. I had to find a power greater than this disease that lives in my mind, obviously. But where and how was I to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its object is to enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will, not could or might, will solve my problem. And that means that we've written a book that we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. You know, I felt such deep shame about who I was and what I was, and I hated myself. Um, shame and fear ran through me like a stick of rock. You know, rock is a sweet we have over here in the UK, unless you want, if you're over there and you wonder what it, you know, what that is. It just ran through me. I was so ashamed of who I was. Um, so I was just, I just hung on to every word in this book because I knew that I was going to die. One way or the other, I was going to die. And more alcoholics die sober than they do drunk, can I just tell you? And it's the same with food addicts, you know. So here we are at the steps. Okay, so first of all, I had to admit that I was powerless over alcohol or food in my case, and I didn't have a problem with that. It felt to me like a parasite. You know, it was like I was the host and I had this parasite and it just dragged me around demanding this, demanding that, you know, go to Tesco's, the supermarket, whatever, buy packets of this, buy boxes of that, eat this, eat that, up to the fridge, down to the fridge. I was just running around doing what this thing in my head was telling me to do. That's what it felt like. But the second part is that our lives became unmanageable. And I want to tell you that my life can be unmanageable out of the food three and a half years down the line. OK, if I'm not connected to a power greater than me, then I am insane. You know, and it's not insane in the kind of mental health kind of insane. It is the disease that talks to me constantly. That is my insanity, my thinking. I, am I prepared to believe in a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity? First of all, I have to acknowledge that I'm insane. Okay, the things that I'm doing time and time and time again are taking me back to, you know, the, the thing, <laughs> taking me back again. I have an allergy. I have an allergy. Okay, if I put that stuff in my body, then I can't stop. OK, but I have a brain that tells me that I haven't. And time and time and time again, my head took me back. I would lose the weight and then I, I would pick up and then I would go back there time and time and time again. So I needed something to intervene to stop me from doing that because I knew that I couldn't do that on my own. I knew that I would go back to the darkness. I'd go back to the insanity time and time again. Was I willing to believe that there was something that could stop me from doing that? Well, this book told me it could, and I was prepared to believe it. Uh, I made a decision to turn my will, that's my thinking, and my life, that's my actions, over to the care of God as I understood him. Okay, well, I didn't understand him. I don't understand God. But I was willing to turn myself over to anybody, frankly, and I couldn't care for me. I wasn't brushing my teeth. I wasn't showering. I wasn't getting out of bed. I couldn't move. I couldn't care for me. I couldn't do anything for myself. So I was prepared and willing to hand myself over to anybody or anything that would have me, frankly, because I was sick of me. I was sick of me. And then I did a step four, a searching and fearless moral inventory. Now, I was a first-class victim, okay? I was a poor me 
poor me. I was a victim of everybody. They were all doing this to me. If you'd had my childhood, if you'd had my life, then you would, you know, you'd eat as well. You know, you'd, you'd be like that as well. And I, when I did my inventory, I realised that actually I had a part to play in every single situation that I was in. And I was furious when they told me I was selfish and self-centred. You know, I'd adopted children. I was a foster carer. I'd done social work, um, sorry, voluntary work all my life. You know, I was this, I was that, I was the other. What I came to realise that all of that was to make me feel OK about me. I didn't do anything for anybody because I wanted to do it for anybody. I did it for me. Every interaction I made with anybody or, or anything was because I wanted something from it. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. But let me tell you, it's the truth. I was a victim of everybody because I felt full of self-pity and um, I just wasn't prepared to grow up and take responsibility. I was like a five-year-old in a 53-year-old body. And my biggest fear was you were going to find out. You're going to find out I'm a five-year-old and I don't know how to do grown-up life. That was my biggest fear. So I got this inventory and there I was with this list of character defects. You know, um, I am selfish. I am self-centered. Um, I'm, I'm very, very judgmental. Like it said, I said to you, you know, I've got this fault finding critical mind and I can rip people to shreds in my head or out of my mouth even, including myself. You know, I've got all of these character defects. So um, and then I shared it. You know, I shared my step five with somebody and they very lovingly helped me to see a few more, you know. And then um, in step six, very, very humbling to see who I really was. OK, so um, we're entirely ready to have God remove all the all these defects of character. Now, I talk on step six and seven a lot because I think they're very, very missed steps. OK, in step six and step seven, I am saying to God, I call higher power God. You call yours whatever you like. Don't get hung up on that. It doesn't matter. It's, if it's bigger than you, fantastic. Um, I am constantly, daily asking God to remove things about me that I find objectionable. OK, when I am judging you, it is not OK. OK, when I am envious of you, it's not OK. When I am angry with you, it's not OK. Or, you know, it's OK for me to be angry at you, but it's not OK for me to act out my anger at you. It is not OK um, for me to judge you. You know, it's not it's not OK. So I'm asking God continuously to mould me, to change me, to move me, to grow me, to transform me. You know, I needed transformation, not information. You know, I needed a different life. I cannot change me. My mind can't change my mind. So I'm asking God all the time to remove these things, to change me, to make me different. In step eight, immediately I'm making amends to people. I've had such powerful, powerful amends. I've got to get moving because I've only got seven minutes. OK, really, really powerful steps, eight and nine. And I have to make those amends. And let me tell you, every single one of them was uncomfortable. I did not want to make any of my amends. I prayed for willingness to do that. And I carried my higher power with me. Higher power came with me. I took higher power in every amends that I made. And some people didn't want anything to do with me. Some relationships were restored. You know, I have a loving relationship with my mother today. I, I couldn't be in a room with my mother. I was estranged from my mother for many, many, many years. Today, I can love my mother, tolerate my mother, be kind and loving to my mother. Um, so eight and nine, I'm making amends immediately now, not three weeks down the line now. In step 10, I am continuously looking out for resentment 
dishonesty, self-seeking and fear. I'm looking for it, okay, continuously looking for it. And let me tell you, it keeps coming. It doesn't disappoint. It keeps coming. And um, I'm on a Step 10 train. I'm sharing my Step 10s with people every day. I cannot afford to live in resentment. I cannot afford to live with fear. I will pick up the food and I will die. This is a life and death treatment for a life and death illness, okay? I, I do step tens immediately, as quickly as I can. Sort through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. That means I'm awake, people, okay? Conscious. If you come around my house and visit me, if you flew over from America, if you're over there, or even if you travel from England, okay, and you came to visit me, I wouldn't spend five minutes with you in the morning and five minutes at night and ignore you the rest of the day, would I? But that's what we do with God, don't we? That's what we do with our higher power. Oh, I've said my prayers. I've done my meditation. Thank you very much, God. I'm off now. I'll do my, thank you. I'll do my own thing. Okay. I have to continuously, continuously, consciously awake, have a relationship with a power greater than me, because that is the only solution on offer here. That is the only solution, not service, not meetings, nothing else. OK, that is the solution. That is what has transformed my life. And that is what keeps me sober and clean today. That is the solution. Um, and I'm praying for knowledge of his will for me, his will, not trying to manipulate him into doing my will. OK, I am here to serve God. Today, I am a humble servant. And every morning when I get up or before I get up, I am praying for me to get out of the way. Make this day about you, power. What can I do for someone today? What can I do to help somebody? What can I do to say something to somebody? Where do you want me? What can I do? I have to surrender on a daily basis. And then we're on to step 12, the joy of my life. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I try to carry the message. And this is the message. And sometimes in OA, I'm sad to say we miss the message. The message is the solution is a higher power and how to connect to a higher power. And that's what these steps are all about. There's no there's no hidden extras. There's no third door. It says in the book here, we either pick up the spiritual tools at our feet or we die an alcoholic death. There's no third door. There's no easy option. It is the easy option, I think. As a result of these steps, we carry the message, and that is the message to alcoholics. And to practice these principles, I have to be loving. I have to be kind. I have to, be, have, to have integrity. I have to live up to what the book tells me to be. Do I do that perfectly? Do I, hell? No, of course I don't, because I'm human. And I will never, ever... Um, transcend my humanness but I try on a daily basis to be a better person today than I was yesterday can I do that on my own no there's no way you know it says I can have moral and philosophical convictions galore but I cannot be a decent human being unless I'm unless I've got that power in my life I cannot stop picking up that food unless I've got that power in my life the book tells me how to get the power in in my life and I now have to work at keeping it because, you know, the woman I was will eat again. So I have to make flipping sure that I don't be the woman I was. Um, so that's a real, you know, a really whistle-stop step 
you know, <laughs> flying through the steps, really. But I, I really am passionate about the message. And that is the message. That's what saved my life. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. And I can't do it on my own. I need you. You are my tribe. Um, I can't do it without a good sponsor. I can't do it without sponsoring people. I sponsor people. They sponsor people. Um, I, um, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful. My life today is beyond anything that I could even imagine. I couldn't have imagined the life I have today. Um, and it's not because I'm thin or slim or whatever. I mean, that's the least exciting thing that happens on a daily basis. This morning, I have been working in a food bank, handing out carrier bags of the food that I used to binge on to people in need and delivering food parcels to people around villages who are in desperate need of food. A woman who spent her whole life hiding in toilets, eating copious amounts of chocolate, biscuits, cakes, whatever. You know, today it's about what can I do for other people? That's what it's about. So I'm so grateful. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for listening to me. I hope that something I've said, I pray that something I've said today may touch somebody's heart in this room. This is life and death. It's not funny. And, um, you know, we're here for you. If you're new, you know, we're here for you. You're not on your own and you don't have to continue feeling how you feel today. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, my heart has been touched, so mission accomplished. Um, and thank you so much for uh, your generosity and sharing your fabulous journey and the joy that you have found in recovery. 